Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Hey, Russ. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Fine. It is after Thanksgiving, and you have no Christmas decorations up in your office. I don't know what's oh, yeah. going on with that, but, you know, you've got to <laughs> fix that really uh-huh. soon. We've, we've got them in the rest of the house. We've got the Christmas tree and the, and the, and the nativity and all that, but um, in yeah. my office, it's pretty spartan. Yeah, no, you need to fix that for some reason. And Yvonne has, has Yvonne's with us today, and she has no Christmas decorations because she's at her parents' house or some some such thing. That's what she's yes. telling us. She's actually who knows where she is. Oh yeah, no, I am in I'm in my parents' guest room. There was some surgery and and a minor illness, so I'm just kind of here to be sure folks get fed and cared for for a little bit. And I'm in the guest bedroom, so back at my <laughs> back at my mama's house. So all good. Making sure everybody's fed. Yep. It's important. That's, that's what important. we do in the South. We make sure everybody's fed. That's, that's our right. job. That's right. And, you know, it's 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 pretty uh, pivotal on Maslow's hierarchy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if you follow me on Twitter, you have seen pictures of Christmas decorations in the new house. We've gotten moved in. And so... We have been busy, busy, busy. So if you want to see Christmas decorations, that's where to find them. All right. Awesome. So we are at another roundtable, and we are talking about old engineering quotes. Back to our book, um, Addresses to, to Engineers, from way back in, I don't know, 1911, whatever it is. Something like that, I think, is when it was published. And we stopped, I don't know, somewhere along the way, but I guess I guess we should start with this one. Because I think this one's really good, by the way. I think this is a very good... All of these are so good. Um, knowledge alone is not power. The ability to use knowledge is a latent power, and the actual use of it is a power. Wow. Yeah. How many times have you heard, knowledge is power? The more you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's really not true, is it, right? You can know lots of stuff and never use it, and it does nothing for you. Well, this is, I think this is where we get the, uh, the stereotype of the, you know, ivory towered academic yes. who spends a, a lifetime studying and knowing things, um, but is short on application. And, and I think, so I agree wholeheartedly with the first statement that knowledge alone is not power, but at the same time, you can't just act and never know. Yes. Right. There's this there's this yeah. symbiosis that happens between knowing and doing. And it's best when those things work in in conjunction. Um, but what I will say is, is you reach a point where if you don't apply what you've learned, then your knowledge is incomplete. And at some point becomes almost counterproductive if you if you don't take what you know and put it into action because you think, you know, but yeah. you don't really know. Yeah. I think I think we often get this wrong. And I mean, we, we tend to not balance these things in our world. And by the way, I'll continue. The, the quote there is, Instead of storing your minds with useful knowledge, therefore I will say to you, store your minds with useful tools and with a knowledge only of how to use such tools. 
Now, that part of the quote isn't as compelling to me because, you know, I, again, I think we, we tend to live in this world where, and we see this, by the way, and not just in technology. We see this in lots of areas like, okay, you know, you just have book learning. You don't know anything because you just have book learning. But like you said, Yvonne, there's a lot of people who don't have book, lear- book learning. They have practical in the world experience. And because they have no book learning, their practical in the world experience is actually really much more limited than, than what they, what they think it is. Right. I mean, that's, that's a problem. You know? I think one of the, yeah. one of the key parts about turning knowledge into power is, um, is context and connecting knowledge, um, different, different islands of knowledge together. Like the thing I was just thinking about, um, just a second ago is, um, reading a packet capture. So if you're looking at a packet capture and you, and you understand all these things, you can understand how TCP congestion control works and you can understand all of those things. Um, but I, it's funny when you look at a packet capture with a group of people, it's really interesting to look around the room and just notice who's asking what types of questions. Um, that's fascinating to me. That is fascinating engineer watching. Um, but, and sooner or later, somebody will say, well, wait a minute, where, where was this capture even taken? But it's funny because you'll see the, sometimes the conversation will go for 10, 20, 30 minutes before someone asks that question. And that's actually a piece of context that is critical to any of this stuff, meaning anything at all. And it doesn't matter that, you know, all the, all the bits in the ethernet header, um, and until you know kind of where this fits in. So I, I, that's something I was thinking about is connecting, connecting pieces of information together is really important. Yeah. Yeah. When in my world, we talk a lot about, um, turning information or turning what we know into action, you know, like what, what is, what is that next best step? What is the thing that we need to do next to get where we want to go? And, um, we can, you can almost use, um, the pursuit of additional information as, as a crutch, not to make a decision. And at some point, you know, you, you have to look at, at, at the body of knowledge in the situation and, and you have to do something and in the doing and in the motion becomes additional context to help you know what to do next. Um, and so I, I find that the analysis paralysis can be, a huge problem. Um, and I don't know, a wise man, I heard him say once in a talk that, you know, you can drive off the road, you can drive into the ditch off of both sides of the road, right? Yeah. You can go too far in either direction. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, knowledge is important. It's critical, but application of that knowledge is where the magic happens. Um, there are all kinds of, you know, I, I almost cringe anymore when I hear somebody say, well, I'm just the idea person. Well, everybody's <laughs> an idea person, you know, like you, you, you got a good take... idea person or just an idea person. <laughs> well, and that idea, if all it does is exist in your head, um, it never becomes anything practical that, that actually changes your environment. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think this is this is a a good one. I would not say that we we should only know how to use our tools. We we absolutely should know how to use our tools and build systems with the knowledge that we have. But um, I think I appreciate the pursuit of education and knowledge for its own sake, and how that can unlock opportunities that you just don't you just can't envision until you know more. Yeah. So. And I, I do think that we, 
underplay that knowledge itself can cause you to change, can cause changes in your life or in what you do just by simply knowing. Like some people like, well, you know, if you just know something that is making a difference. Well, sometimes it actually does. Sometimes just knowing something actually does make a difference in the way you act or, you know, what you do or whatever. Um, so I think there is, there's like a balance in there and we don't do very good with the balance, unfortunately, in our culture. I don't think anyway. Um, one thing I was thinking about there is I play a good bit of, uh, not a good bit, but I play some Sudoku. And I don't know if you play this a lot, but you'll find that if you're playing this game, the more you can fill in other squares, the more you know what things look like elsewhere. That's what you're talking about, Yvonne, right? Is that sometimes you have to go do something in order to uncover more of the problem or more context. And then when Tom was talking, I thought, I have this teacher that I listen to all the time. Used to listen to him more than I do now, but anyway, still do some. And he always used to say, if you take a text out of the context, you're left with the con. <laughs> clever. clever. <laughs> That's, that is so clever. And it is so true that if you take things out of their context, it's probably, you know, you're probably not going anywhere good with it in the long run. Okay. So next one, Yvonne, you read this time. Sure. Um, as a rule, the higher up one begins, the sooner his promotion stops. And the lower down he begins, the higher will he ultimately climb. The man at the top should know in a practical way all the work over which he is called upon to preside. And this means beginning at the bottom. This wow. one's a little dicier for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth here. I think it, it may be that there are times when this is not absolutely true, but I think there's a lot of truth here. Um, I don't know. I think I am a better engineer because I was climbing towers when I was a network engineer because I was climbing towers when I was 12 and hanging antennas. That may seem crazy, but I don't know. It just seems like it. You get more of an intuitive sense of things. Tom, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, Tom, so I know you have some yeah, I, well, I mean, I feel a little torn about it because um, there's so much to know and understand and anyone who thinks that they're going to be able to do um, everyone's job in the whole organization or whatever, um, you just you just won't. Your mind doesn't hold that many things at one time. Um, but but I, th- I think that's probably not what he's saying. He's probably, he's probably not saying um, be able to do every job simultaneously. Probably the intent here is that you have done at some point in the past, all of the jobs, but even that, um, like, do you need to have, have run cable and been a, been a tunnel rat, um, where I place our, I used to work called it. Um, do you need to have done that work in order to be able to design a network? I, I don't know. I, part of me disagrees. Like you need to understand the, the theory. You need to, um, certainly have a relationship with some folks who do that so you can get, you know, their perspectives. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I totally agree. I, I feel like you, you need to specialize in a couple of areas and you need to have empathy and you need to be able to communicate, but I don't know that you need to know the whole thing. Uh, Yeah, I think so. The, the statement for me is a little absolutist. And I also think it is very, industrial revolution-esque right like if if you're running a factory 
it's pretty important to know how all those components work together and how the line runs. And, and, and it, it harkens me back to an era when workers did very prescriptive things. Um, I, I think, I think the economy of knowledge work is a little bit different and there's just too much to know. And I think, I think, so I, yeah, I think it's super important to empower great people and to trust those people and to listen to them. Um, but, but at the same time, there is value in having done the work. So it, it's, it, this is just to me, not one of those, like I can see the, see some truth in it, but it's not one of those. I'm like, yes, that is a forever good principle that we should all take to heart and live by. So that that's Yvonne's opinion of this one. Interesting. Cause, cause I would say, I think I would say anyway, that um, I think I would say anyway, that there is some degree to where, you know, it's the old Jack of all trades, master of none, which I disagree with, by the way, I, I think that, I think that it is, the original idea that was out there was jack of all trades, master of one. And I think we do too much of jack of all trades, master of none. And so I think there's something to be said for being a generalist, especially in a specialized world. And that beginning at the bottom does help you know how things fit together. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, we only have a certain amount of stuff we can stick in our heads and you can only learn so much in a lifetime. So how do you, how do you, again, it's a matter of balance, it feels like to me. Like, how do you balance between those? So I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's an, that this is, this is, like you're saying, Yvonne, this is more of a, hmm, I'm not entirely certain about this. This might be a little harder to get my head around and, and justify entirely. Should I do the next one? Yeah, go ahead. A merchant may advertise his wares, a manufacturer his product, but reasonable modesty and his code of ethics prevent a professional man from advertising his skill. If he does not become known by his work or his writings, he remains in comparative obscurity. His ability is clearly exposed in his writings in which he gives to the profession his best thought, and if he cannot write easily and well, he will probably not write at all, for the censorship of the learned societies is now severe and is rapidly growing more so. Every normal, healthy-minded technical man deserves, desires to leave a permanent record of the results of his best thought and work to aid his coworkers and those who come after him. An ably written description of work performed, discoveries made, or methods developed accomplishes more for the advancement of science than many well-designed and well-executed constructions. The latter benefit of those, the, the latter benefit those who see them, the former may help all who can read. Yeah, I, you know, I think we live in a world where we are kind of expected now to advertise our own wares. And how much of a career stunting is it is if you don't? I don't know. Right. That's that's a question. Yvonne is pondering this before she jumps in. <laughs> I see well, I, yeah, no, the, the wheels are turning. I think um, I think this is this is in my mind, a noble ideal of an engineer, right? It is that um, good, good. We, we like to believe and that 
good work speaks for itself. And, and that's, that's what I hear in the first part of this. Like, you know, don't, don't, don't go brag about your ability, let your work speak for itself. But then the, the, the second, you know, the latter two thirds of this is really about the value of clearly documenting and creating a record of your work and, and what matters and, and, and that, that will create a thing that lives beyond um, you, frankly. Um, and I think this is a noble ideal. Um, I wish the world operated this way, frankly. Yeah. Um, but I think we also just have to be aware that we do live in an attention economy. Um, and and there are lots of people saying lots of things that garner all kinds of an at- attention. Now. Is there substance to their work? Will will the attention that they've garnered in this brief sliver of history, will it endure? Probably not. And I think we have to decide where we want to fall on that, that spectrum of, you know, and some people are great at, at the self-promotion thing and their substance to their work and they don't feel icky about it. And that's amazing. Other people really feel icky about doing the self-promotion and they just want to like go do the work. That's okay too. Um, But I do think this ideal that your work should stand on its own um, is, is noble. I guess is how I would say it. I believe it's noble and a good aspiration. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is that people don't, pay attention all the time to what you're doing. They pay attention to what they're doing and they pay attention to what's on the top of mind and what's on their radar, who's talking to them about stuff and bragging, so to speak. And I think what's interesting about this is, is I actually don't like bragging personally. Like it's, it's a thing with me. Um, I just don't like it. And so I struggle with getting the word out there about stuff that I'm working on. I've been told by several managers well, I didn't know you were working on this. I didn't know you were working on that. Like, how would I have ever known? Because I never tell anybody anything. Um, but it's almost, it does feel kind of icky to me to be going to my manager every week and saying, hey, you know, I had a meeting with this person this week and I did that this week and I completed that project and I did this. And I like, and, you know, to me, there's a sense in which I don't know if I'm getting stuff done. It should be kind of obvious to other people that stuff is getting done. And, you know, and, though, I, I think though our work, especially in specifically for networking, our work um, is entombed at the bottom of a stack that no one ever sees. Yeah. Like a, a civil engineer, you can see what they did. Um, everyone, and you don't even have to be educated. You don't have to be an engineer to see what they did. Um, but for us, it really is. It really is entombed, and it's not. If we don't expose it, it's not going to get exposed. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and first of all, I. I very much like relate to what Russ just shared. At the same time, I work in an organization, a culture that is um, the, the incentive structure is such that if you are not able to articulate what you have done and why it mattered, you're not going to move forward. And so I've kind of had to learn this at the same time. um, This is why we need other people. Right. And, and it's entirely possible that that um, it is good to, for somebody who is more um, 
reserved about talking about their work to pair up with somebody who does a better job talking about that. And, and that can work really well. Like if you have a manager who's really good at promoting your work and will talk with you one-on-one -on -one and dig in and understand what you're doing, and then they can help promote or a peer or a colleague or a friend, you know, like we, we are not all gifted with the same abilities to, to promote or market or communicate that's okay but this is sometimes why you see like incredibly powerful partnerships that develop because part of the partnership is great at yet they understand everything and and, and the technology but they are really really great at sharing it and then you know I, you think about like jobs and wozniak right they're a perfect example of this right jobs was able to go and talk about and tell a compelling story while Wozniak was really the engineer who, who did who did a lot of the um, the engineering work. Um, and those partnerships can be really powerful and, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean and the thing is too is that I think there's a difference between bragging about what you've done and doing things like writing blogs about technology. And I think that what this is partially saying is that if you write the blogs about technology, if you write about technology, if you write up what you've done, then that is kind of um, helpful or very helpful in getting people to understand that what your abilities are without you needing to be the braggy person, right? I don't know. What do you th I'm, that, that's I kind think, of my... Yeah, I, I agree, Russ. I think um, still people read a blog article. They don't really read who the author was, really. Yeah. I mean, they look at the ideas, they appreciate the ideas. Um, but I think you're, I think I've struggled with this too. Like I don't, I don't want to be self-promoting. I don't want to be that guy. And in fact, I would rather take fewer opportunities than be that guy. That's kind of, kind of where I land on it. But I think there's also another aspect to this that's not self-promotion, which is advancing the state of the art. He says, um, in which he gives to the profession his best thought. And this idea of giving to the profession, I think, is really interesting and compelling and sort of different than self-promotion. Um, it still involves visibility. Like if you're going to advance the state of the art, you have to communicate your ideas to others. You cannot do it. You cannot advance the state of the art in isolation. But uh, clearly the things that have moved things forward came from a person like they didn't come from a committee. Um, and so I don't I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you what do you all think about that, about advancing the state of the art? You think that's part of this? I think it's it's I think one of the one of the devices we can use to get over this is does it make the craft the industry the world a better place to know about this thing or not and if and if you've done something that is new or novel or that is helpful to another person in a lot of ways you are actually disadvantaging society by keeping that to yourself right yep. and so if if there is something you can do and contribute to make it sounds lofty but the world better you should share it um not not because you want the accolades but because it will make the industry better um and and that mindset um will change how you share what you share and how you interact with the world around yeah. you and and not even that you've invented something new. You've come up with a new way of explaining something very simple, mm. right? Yep. Whatever that happens to be. Um, I think it's you should share that, honestly. I think I think it should be out there. 
Now, the biggest problem that we face in this this part of the world, by the way, is that people come up with a brilliant idea and they want to keep it, right? I may not have, especially the first one you come up with. My goodness, the first patent I filed, I thought, I never want to tell anybody about this because somebody else will take the idea and do something with it and, and I won't be able to productize it and blah, 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 blah. You know, you got to get over that. You've really got to get over that. Um, you got to get past that somebody might use my idea and build on it and do something greater than I've done. Awesome. Good for them. Good for you. Good for the world. Like, whatever. So I think there's a lot of that that goes into this as well as is this kind of, oh, but if I let it out there, then somebody might use it and that might help somebody else. I mean, I, I understand this from a business perspective, but like for, at a personal level, like whatever. <laughs> there's a, um, on my bookshelf back here, there's a, um, a traffic engineering with MPLS. Um, uh, Eric Osborne is one of the authors. Yep. And I think his name's, it's Eric, right? Anyway, he, yeah, it's um, the, one of the things in that book that um, I just thought of is he explains, um, he explains uh, SPF, uh, Dijkstra SPF, um, because you have to know that really to, to fully grasp what's going on um, in the IGP. And that was where I felt like it finally clicked for me, like how how Dijkstra's algorithm actually works. And it was in a it was a, in a book about not not about IGPs, but about traffic engineering. But I felt like his explanation to me was novel. Like I had read other explanations and but this one was different. And um, I was like that, that to me, that is a contribution to society. Um, yeah, there's tons of books about MPLS traffic engineering, but um, just what you said, Russ, about explaining something in a new way. I think that's I think that's really powerful. And I mean, we could do a whole episode on why this is right, because I, I've had many instances where I'm having a conversation with somebody and I say something to me that just seems like obvious and simple um, and, and not not very groundbreaking. And they're like, wow, I've never thought of it that way before. And so it's very difficult for us as individuals to know which of those things are novel and interesting and, and which aren't. Yeah. Um, and, and we figure that out, frankly, in community, in sharing our ideas with other people and, and having somebody that we can say, hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think of that? Um, and listening well to feedback. But, but the, the precondition for all of that is we take all that and we put it out into the world. Yeah. Um, and, That's right. uh, and it's um, it's 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 a battle for some of us to, yeah. to be able to do that. But um, yeah. yeah, but it's yeah. but it's good. Yeah, that's another thing I hear about writing. Oh, but my work will be edited, and somebody might not like it, and you know they may correct me. And again, good. <laughs> you know, sorry, but it's just the way it is. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually awesome. I mean, I once wrote a book specifically to an editor so that I could learn how to write fiction. Not not because I wanted to sell books or anything, but just because I wanted to learn how to do this. So I went and found an editor first, like a really good editor. And like, okay, now I'm going to write and I'm going to hand it to you and you can tear it to shreds and that'll help me learn because that's, that's really what's important. Okay, so the next one is, it is my constant observation of four engineering works employing about 20,000 men that engineers reach the limit of their usefulness from defects of character rather than from want of technical attainment. Our greatest difficulty is to find courage, candor, imagination, large vision, and high ambition. 
Wow. <laughs> First, I'll point out this was written in an era. Yeah, when, I know. Uh, Man, when, yes. that, that, that was very gendered. Just, yes. just you know, yeah. re- replace yeah. replace that with people. Yeah, I almost didn't read the middle part because it doesn't add anything, right? It is my right. constant observation of four engineering works that engineers are my constant observation that engineers reach the limit of their usefulness from de- defects of character rather than from want of technical attainment. Absolutely, 100% correct. Like uh, an, an observation that I have made, um, and it's not that it's new. It's just maybe maybe I have the maturity to notice it and the self-awareness to notice it now, is that, that we all show up with our biases and dysfunctions whether we want to or not like we can we can believe that work is like our safe space and we're there and it's we separate that from our personal life and for some of us that's that is a comfort if we've if if our lives have been full of chaos and and otherwise difficulty work is like controlled and 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 really can feel like a safe space but our very perceptions (laughs) of the world around us come from inside of us and are, are a combination of everything we've ever experienced. And, and so <laughs> all of that colors how we see the world. And I feel like our character is exactly the same way. You know, if, if we are optimistic, if we look for the good in people, if we have a higher ideal that we're trying to reach, if, um, it, you know, if, if, we, if we're able to be clear and kind at the same time, which for me, that's what candor is. Um, like all of those characteristics and qualities, uh, are, are contribute to greatness. And I know we can all point out people who have done great and amazing things that were horrible people. Um, I get it, but when we want to, let's, let's, let's talk about the ideals that we want to ascribe to. And that is, you know, that our character and just how we show up in the world has as much to do with our quality of work as what we know um, and our technical ability. That is something I believe to my core. Yeah. Um, and I think it's super important to, to live that way and to just show up as the person we want to be. Yeah. Even I, if I we think, don't feel like we're always that person. <laughs> I think we almost idolize the people who are horrible people, but who are brilliant for some reason, and, and this is this isn't this isn't technology. This is the world, right? I mean, some of the great composers and artists, of Van Gogh and and Beethoven, not really Beethoven, not really Bach, but more Beethoven and and some of those others. I mean, they had a lot of personal problems, and they had a lot of weird stuff going on in their life, and we almost idolize them for being like, oh, the weird artist, you know. And the same thing in the tech world, we almost idolize tech founders who are porcupines you know they're nasty people you don't want to be around them and and i guess i guess my thing would be is like okay maybe there is some connection there although i don't necessarily believe it but maybe even if even if i gave you the argument that there is so what is that who you want to be really seriously do you really want to be yeah are you really willing to give up your 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 earlobe to be van gogh i don't know (laughs) Was it a good trade-off? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, again, this whole you can drive off of the yes. off, into the ditch on both sides of the road. But um, I, I think it is possible to say this very flawed person did this really amazing thing. 
I think that's entirely possible. And very, very flawed people do amazing things because we are all to some degree flawed in, 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 in my view of the world. But at the same time, um, it, the, the, the failures that we see, um, do, I think absolutely come more from a lack of character. For example, you, you have somebody who's, who's, who's brilliant, but is also, um, very arrogant and cannot, will not listen to criticism. Well, no matter how brilliant you are, you can't know all the things. And so a person that is less brilliant, but willing to hear the voices of other people and willing to hear challenge and make correction and course correct when something's wrong is going to have a much better long-term trajectory. Now, can, can the brilliant person do some great things in a very narrow space and, and still have dastardly character. Sure. Absolutely. We see that all the time. Um, it's not who I want to be or how I want to live. Um, and I think, um, the, the last statement here, the lack of courage and candor comes most often to my notice. Um, but the lack of imagination and of broad outlook produces yes. the most serious disasters. Yep. Um, and, it, and if you study Chernobyl, if you study the Challenger disaster, if you study a lot of these um, failures of engineering that have happened over time, they happen in a, because of failure of imagination yeah. and, a, and, a, and a lack of a broad outlook, yeah. you know. We, yeah, we have exactly. a narrow view of how this thing is and what it is and how it works and, and that and horrible can thing fail. can't happen yeah right? how and it would how fail. it can fail that's yeah. right that's it's imagination of how things can fail oh that'll never don't be so negative that'll never happen well you know maybe it never will but why shouldn't I design around the bad cases as much as I can I mean I know that you can't design around all bad cases but there are times right is you know I think we fail in both the glasses half empty and we fail in the glasses half full. I think that, I think that the reality is the engineering view is, is that the glass is over engineered, perhaps. <laughs> I, I, there's absolutely some time to go ahead, Tom. Oh, so I, I was just kidding. I really like the, I don't know that I have something useful to say about it, but I, I, I really like the idea that the character of the engineer matters. Um, yes. That, that who who the person is doing this technical work matters. I, I agree with that. There's this list of positive attributes. One of them I thought was really interesting. Um, the last one, high ambition. What what do you think? Why is that on the list with courage? That seems a little disjoint to me. Like I appreciate high ambition. Why would an engineer need to have high ambition to to do well? When I hear high ambition in this context, I'm not thinking of, I want to climb the ladder and I want to build my bank account and I want to accomplish so that people we think will great. To me, high ambition is, is I want to do a great thing for that great thing's sake. Like I believe in greatness because greatness is good and beautiful and, and worthy to chase. Right. Yes. That, so yes. when I read high ambition in this context, that's what I think, not the ambition of I'm going to uh, become a CEO and jack up the company's stock price, uh, sell it, retire, profit, you know, like that. It's not that kind of ambition for personal gain. It's ambition for 
greatness, really. Yeah, build, building something great, building something beautiful, building something aesthetic, something that will last. I think that is really a basic human desire. And what we tend to end up doing when we see people who have that is we tend to ascribe to them personal ambition. You're just doing that because you want to get rich. You're just doing that because... But it's not really the same thing. And the problem is from the outside, it's hard to tell the difference. Right, right. I'm, I'm reading true. I'm reading The Soul of a New Machine right now. And it's it's really great because it talks about the lives of the engineers that built some of these first computers, for some of the more successful general. The sailboat um, scene in that book is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. That's, I'm going to have to put that one on my list. What's it called oh, again, so Tom? It's called The Soul of a New Machine. Um, you'll like it. It's a pretty old book, but it is it is awesome. Um, and one of the things that it talks about is these just the passion that these engineers have for for doing it right. They don't they don't care about the company's stock price. They don't care about um, uh, very many things. But one of the things they care about is like this. It needs to be elegant. It needs to be done right. Like um, from what I, I think that that's in the in line with what y'all are saying. I think that's yeah. That, yeah, I would I would say so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Okay, well, we're on for 35 minutes. Should we wrap up and do another quote next time? Should we like continue later or should we like Yeah, I think another? let's let's hit the pause button. We got uh, we've got a yeah. long list to, to go next time, but I love these. <laughs> yeah, this is I my do favorite. Too. These are these are awesome. There's one we're going to hit this that's kind of funny, but we'll get there. <laughs> we will uh yes, yeah, come back for more. Yeah, come back for more. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, any other comments before we wrap up or anything you want to talk about or? No, I think I've uh, wagged my lips enough. Okay. And Yvonne? No, all good. All good. I love these, uh, these <laughs> philosophical conversations of, from, uh, and, and truths from, uh, you know, over a decade ago, it's, or a decade, a century ago, a century ago. zero, <laughs> a century <laughs> ago. Uh, and, and what, what, what holds true and what maybe doesn't. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Tom, where, where can people get in touch with you if they want to? They can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Ammon. And that's it. He has that's just it. become antisocial in the last few weeks or months. <laughs> yep. <laughs> antisocial media. I'm not antisocial. Okay, okay. All right. I'll, I'll let you add media to it for now. <laughs> All right, Yvonne, where can people get in touch with you? Your, your parents' yeah. house. You'll be cooking yes, dinner. Yes, uh, yeah, I will be. Um, you're, you're welcome, but it's not going to be very appetizing. Um, uh, yeah, no, you can find me on LinkedIn, Yvonne Sharp. Uh, I am still on the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, and I'm playing around with like threads and, and Blue Sky and some of those places. So if you're over there, reach out. Um, but yeah, definitely LinkedIn. Um, I post all of my articles and writing there. And a little bit still on Twitter. All right. Awesome. I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at rule11.tech at the hedge and on LinkedIn. And I do log into X every now and again, formerly known as Twitter. I've been looking at other stuff, but haven't found anything else I'm really happy with at this point for social media. Not that I'm a big social media maven anyway. Well, we know your time is important. I mean, Yvonne even said it earlier and that there's so much going on. You have so much stuff to pay attention to. So we really appreciate you listening to us and hanging out with us and just talking about old things and new things. Uh, so thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.